Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about traversing through new code bases. Going where no man has gone before. Well, I guess people have gone before. Just look at Get Blame. Yeah. <laughs> Get Blame will tell you who's been there and who left it and what they did, why they did it, hopefully. Exactly. You have a huge, you have Mount Everest of code base that you have to learn. And there's, how do you start? Like where do you, it's just like, there's no path. You just have to make it to the top of this code base mountain. We'll be talking about some of the things, I guess, tips that, you know, people should follow. The mountain of monoliths or... Maybe whatever the corresponding version of microservices. Trees in the forest. The molehill. I think more important than knowing what to look for is knowing what to not look for. Like all of the things that you need to ignore because the code base is many times larger than you can realistically read. Oh, You're not going to read that's it. That's totally true. Yeah. Like you have to accept uncertainty and make assumptions. I mean, you could be wrong, but... I think that's one of the things that establishes senior engineer. Like you just get better at making assumptions about how things work and how they don't work. Yeah, you really have to it's like a trust fall. You just have to believe like look, the, the method says that it gets the data. I'm not going to read the method. It's <laughs> Right. Get next it's, date. It'll, it'll get some data probably, whatever. Get Moving next date. On. Probably a date, you know. Maybe there's type annotations on the method, and that's great. That'll help you. If there isn't, then, you know, dynamic languages, languages you just got to, like, be like, yes. That's a problem for future me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think I think generally, like, starting from a user experience, like, if it is a web app or a mobile app or what have you, like, how does the user actually interact with it, like, at the front? What does that look like? Like, how do you actually, like operate the thing what levers are there and yeah i think this is the thing that engineers are really tempted to skip like a lot of times we don't even think of it but like the easiest like one of the most crucial things you can do to learn the code base is to use the app like from the user perspective pretend that you actually need to buy a widget or whatever it is the app is for and do the thing become the user as you are the developer. Yeah, because like once you understand the domain, then some of the metaphors start to make sense. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's clearly why they have a coolant bottle is because, you know, the coolant model is going to represent the coolant that goes inside of the cars that they're selling or whatever. Right, yeah. And sometimes you may not have like a shiny React single page app front end or what have you. Like it may not be a website. It may be an entirely backend app, but there's still some kind of surface area there that like interacts with the world. It could be like ingesting a file and that file has some format or it could be like an API that consumes data or some queue that puts stuff where it needs to be. So there's some kind of like ingress. Yeah. I think that if you start reading code, it's easy to end up focusing on the wrong things and then you start to think, oh, the problem must be in this one section of the code base because that's the code base that I, I know about. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, like very few times have I ever like been able to just read all the code. Like I supported an application for a while where it was like 3,000 lines. So it was like, okay, I can read all the code. Like that's not so bad. Like take you a couple hours or like generally get the idea of what's going on. But you know, if you're working on an app that has like 
more than 10 developers who've been working on it for more than a year, then forget about it. Like you're, you're done. You can't start at chapter one, get to the end of that. When I'm entering a new code base, I tend to see what the unit tests are like, just so I can see what assertions are made given the objects and the classes that I'll be dealing with from the front end, as you guys mentioned, all the way down to like the database. Just like to see what this class is responsible for and how does it pass data from one object to another. I think the unit test definitely helps me out with that regard. And to know how scared you should be of changing it. Yes. Because if there is little <laughs> tests, then you know that there's going to be some things that will be set in stone and you should not change or be very afraid of changing. Yeah. And I guess like testing also tells you, like it's a similar thing. It's like looking at the interface of the thing to understand how, how it goes, like what goes in and what comes out. You know, also understanding people's coding styles and like what assumptions they make when they write a test, like how, how willing are they to patch out random details of a system or is it just like all like end-to-end functional capybara selenium tests or what have you? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd do, I'd try to look at the unit tests and then uh, go up in, in acceptance test integration and stuff like that and see what is revealed to me. Yeah, I think also looking at the dependencies, like looking at your node modules or your requirements.txt or your gem file or whatever, whatever dependency management file you have, just to see how many third-party libraries are we using? Are they generally, what what kinds of categories do they fall into? And like starting from, I guess, thinking back to get to the entry point, it's like, how do I start the application locally? And like, what happens from there? Like starting from there and like looking at what kind of scaffolding is going on to start it up. That's super helpful too. Yeah, the readme also, depending on how recently updated it was. Yeah, I think uh, we mentioned before in time, you see a readme, see when it was last uh, committed and updated because the readmes may lie to you. Yeah, and a- that can send you down a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> like, You're reading this thing like, yeah, it says I could do X, Y, and Z. Like, oh, <laughs> no one's touched that in a long time. <laughs> right, yeah. The episode eight, according to my tattoos, it's uh, <laughs> starting a new project where we talk about like more of the human side, but you know that's something we touch on too. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we mentioned it in that episode, uh, and it's safe to mention again, if you're looking at a readme that's very old, then do it some justice and update it if necessary, or if not, delete it so that no one goes down that rabbit hole like you did (laughs) when you accidentally read a readme that was not updated. Only you can prevent readme fires. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, delete it. So let's assume that we do have a web app or like a, a React app or what have you, like what are some ways that we can figure out how the application works or like one game that I sometimes play is like looking at the user interface and guessing what's a component. Like where did people draw the boundaries? Ah, that is pretty fun. Actually. I look at websites like that from time to time. It's like, Oh, is that, is it just the button or is it this entire thing? Is it the banner? Is that oh, a whole yeah. component that has all these little things? React DevTools is a fascinating thing. That's a whole different thing. Like, you know, just going to random people's sites and poking at them with React <laughs> DevTools, like going to NY Times. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, it's React. Look at that. <laughs> look, look at this stuff. AMC.com. Oh, it's React too. Look at, oh, mm. just poke at all this stuff. It's great. Yeah. Uh, React <laughs> DevTools is definitely the thing you should get to if you're debugging or learning about the, uh, a React code base. I think it's like pretty dope. I have it. And I use it whenever I can if I'm on a React code base. Yeah, same for Redux. Right. Like yeah, seeing, Redux is cool. 
yeah it's pretty awesome being able to see like what data is passed in and then what the dom is that results from whatever inscrutable thing you might be looking at <laughs> yeah what i think whatever front-end framework you're using like ember inspector like they're all going to have some kind of a like a chrome plugin that you can get that will help you sort of figure out what is going on that's a good place to start if you're trying to um, get going on a new project you probably don't want to do it for the whole app, just whatever page you're going to need to work on next. Right, like starting with like a magnifying glass and just looking. So I like to like, yeah, look at the structure of the app through like some component inspector and then open up that network tab in Chrome DevTools, see what fires off when I hit refresh and look at all the API calls, like see what is collected and it's like, okay, those are my next points of entry like where i need to drill down into next so you can hop from front end to back end and start digging into like you know what the parameters are and what the response payload is and, and like why are there so many 500s <laughs> <laughs> yeah if that's happening in production you should go check that out right now <laughs> your 500s are no good do you guys for oh, ruby on, and for oh well, on that note just a real quick thing <laughs> like if they're if there are like 500s or whatever, you might want to look and see if there's like some kind of log, like if the logs are being consumed some and put somewhere or if like the exceptions are being captured and put into Rollbar or Sentry or whatever other random tool, like those things are, are pretty great yeah, as well. Yeah, I failed to think about that. Like using logging to your advantage is probably another way to see how the code base is taking a request from a user and that user flow as well through the logs. Yeah, I think also checking out the monitoring, if the app has monitoring, which hopefully it does, looking to see like, have people set up dashboards? What do they care about? Oh, mm. like somebody mm. bothered to create a dashboard that you know measures the number of abandoned carts or whatever it is. Like, okay, that's important. <laughs> totally. Are you guys, do you use like IDEs? Like, do you find IDEs helpful as a helpful tool? And do, does your ID help you when you're traversing through code bases? I find that using WebStorm for React can be a little difficult, but I like it for like RubyMine is pretty cool. Definitely IntelliJ I would use to help me kind of learn some of the methods if there are any Java docs or whatnot. JetBrains fanboy over here. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what, what do you use? Eclipse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I use Eclipse? Get out of here. Yeah, Conrad's been talking to me too. So, oh yeah, I, I'm also getting the JetBrains plugins. Yeah, yeah. The, the client buys it for me, so I don't care. Like, <laughs> that's why I use it. I mean, what do you use Vim? I, I just use Vim. I mean, Ooh, like if I'm if I'm this gonna guy. Eat, if I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> too cool for IDEs. No, if I, no, I use IDEs, and when I do, it's usually JetBrains. I mean, they're kind of the the main game in town for IDEs these days. So. Yeah, not a sponsor, but, you know, just add us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do find that the IDEs help in some regard in trying to figure out, like, being in a Java project, it allows me to see, like, oh, where else is this method being called? And why would it be called here and there? And then, like, try to follow. It helps, ease, it helps to navigate through the navigation, as we mentioned before, from user to database. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. And there, there are tools for like Vim and other editors like C tags that help you get that same kind of like relationships. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Although C tags is a pain to set up, <laughs> it's like constantly wrestling with C tags. Yeah. Have you seen them in the wild? C tags. Yeah, C tags. 
I know a guy who had C-Tags once. (laughs) I got it working. It just didn't stay working. (laughs) So it's it's a dream. I mean, like nothing is perfect, especially with the dynamic languages, but. Oh, another place, another good place to look where I often start is with an ERD. If you can get, if you can generate an ERD. Oh my gosh. I was just (laughs) going to say that. Yeah, like I don't know if IDEs must have this ability. I haven't, I haven't plumbed it, but I know like for things like Django extension or I forget what it's called, like Django extension or Django management tools, you can generate relationship diagram of all the models. And that's super useful unless there are so many models that they're all like microscope. (laughs) Unless there's so many models that they're like microscopic, in which case you might need to like zoom in a little bit and look at like one module and its immediate adjacent uh, relationships yeah and usually it's like all of why do all of these models connect to this one model (laughs) oh because that one model is where all of the code is yeah yeah (laughs) and actually for I mean, you gotta talk about GraphQL. Gotta talk about GraphQL. You got to. You got to. It's not a podcast uh, unless talking about GraphQL. Yeah, getting that GraphQL money. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, GraphQL Voyager. Great tool to get like kind of an ERD for the relationship of the types in your schema, which, you know, is very braggable because it's, it's hard to get that kind of level of documentation that's like visual and dynamic and interactive with REST. I just searched a ERD for React, and there is one. Oh my gosh, I need that. Yeah, it's called the repo organization is Project Storm, and the name of the app is React Diagrams. It has like, how many stars? Got 2,750, and they got like pretty cool diagrams and stuff. I'll put this in the show notes for anyone who's doing uh, React stuff. Oh, please hook me up. I was, I was looking for something like that earlier today. You guys mentioned ERDs, and I was like, oh, let me see if there is one for React, and boom, there you go. Yeah. You have it, ladies and gentlemen, Project Storm. It's funny, like, when you're, like, trying to Google for something, and you don't know the word for it, like, you just can't get it, but then if you if you hit on that phrase, like, the ERD and React, two words, you get it. Mm, yeah. I, I was like, Googling, what like, does it stand words. for again? Something entity, relational diagram? Entity. Yeah. Entity, relational yeah. diagram. Entity, relational yeah. diagram. I honestly had to go Google what it meant, and then I was like, oh, ERD diagram tools. Got the definition. <laughs> then I put React afterwards and bam, got Project Storm. Mm. There you go. Professional Googler. Thank there you. There you go. That's what they pay <laughs> me to do. That's all we do as developers. Yeah. Hey, and that's a thing you should do if you're learning a code base is to use Google and Stack Overflow to your advantage and things if you don't quite understand. Yeah, that's fair. UML, is that a thing we're still doing in 2019? UML diagrams? I don't think anybody ever did UML diagrams accurately. Like, I mean, it is nice that somebody formalized all the syntax, but like really people just draw pictures. Yeah. Thank you, Gator Booch. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Like, I think there are like elements of clean visual communication about programming that you can like pull out from that. But like that level of structure is hard to like replicate unless you're a machine that generates that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that someone invented it. And if you're building an ERD diagram generator, definitely you should use UML. But thank you. I mean, yeah, I, I learned I learned some of the symbols because it was useful for whiteboarding. And then I was like, ah, nobody seems to understand any better or worse if I just make these symbols up. So, 
star is many. Then you have the number one. I don't know if people are still doing the double parallel lines in between the thing. I don't know. No one's doing that. Just yep. put one and a star. One. That's what you do. <laughs> one star, arrows pointing directions, boxes, UML. It's the William Entity Diagram. It's the, it's the word. We're going to get so much hate mail for shitting on the, UML. All the UML people are going to come out. Yeah, we'll have a rebuttal episode. There you go. But drawing is definitely helpful. So I think it was mentioned in our in one of the previous episodes with the pragmatic folks that you know have a notepad open to write things in the user flow and make sure you document it is like a really interesting way to understand the path, the code that you're looking at. Yeah, and I think they they did talk about that too, like not stressing out about like the dots and the dashes and whatever, like just make a meta, mental model. And if you follow the rules, then fine. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Another thing that I think it can be helpful to look at is just the actual file, like the file structure, like the directories, getting a sense of, you know, if you just open up the tree structure, like expand all and look and see where people have organized stuff, that can be helpful for later when you're like, where would someone have put this CSS file that I need? Oh, okay. I remember how it was categorized. They're doing pods or whatever. Right. It's not just looking at the code like the lines of code but look at where the code is placed and understanding the file structure of the code to understand where you would put certain things so like if a component if there's a change that needs to be done in the header then chances are there's probably like a header component that encapsulates all the header component related items in there yeah and like oh if they have a fixtures directory so there must be fixtures so now i know that's a thing in case Mm -hmm. i need them Right. And you can tell like what is closely related and also like what people value from the folder structure. Like if it's a very shallow tree and like there's just a bunch of stuff in it, then, you know, they're fine with like a more granular folder structure versus having like a lot of folders with just a few things in it. Like, for example, like organizing your components with like one folder per component where you have like the styles and the index.js and whatever or if you just take everything from the page and just put it in a folder and you know let god sort it out which is fine too right there's no wrong answers some teams are sloppy some teams are obnoxiously ocd (laughs) you gotta know what team you're working on it's all awful (laughs) (laughs) i guess there's an (laughs) in-between i suppose you could also check the routes yeah, your entry points in the back end, like just taking stock of what the menu is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, if you just like skim the routes file real quick, that'll give you a sense of a, what surface area your back end has exposed to the front end. Is it a lot of routes? Do they all relate to, you know, like five basic concepts? Like, right. What is the. Structure? Do they seem restful? Yeah. Is it like. Are a- they wakeful? like is it you know an endpoint for is is it a route for products and a route for stores or is it like a route for like stores with products and like you know products by store and there's like update the product route and you know is it what philosophy do they have also coverage if there's a code coverage report that's being generated or any other static analysis reports like if they have code climate going and checking and see like oh this whole section of files has just straight f's so oh there are a lot of fun tools out there for like static code analysis and those that can be pretty fun 
Yeah, Pretty like, oh, here there be dragons. Time. Stay away from the... <laughs> Landmines, don't step in. <laughs> <laughs> Cyclomatic complexity Ooh, off no, the no, charts. No, 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 no. Don't edit a file in there. <laughs> You'll be asked to change it. Yeah, I think we discussed a whole bit of tools that we would use given where we are having to tackle this mountain of code. Do you think we would make it to the top? I think so. I think we would. And I think you can too. <laughs> just uh <laughs> plant that flag <laughs> yeah you know small commits will save the day and every day you'll learn more than you have yesterday and give yourself some time that way you'll feel healthy in learning this new code base whether it's a nice walk up the mountain or a steep climb <laughs> <laughs> yeah take a nap you know chill out let it set <laughs> follow us now on twitter at radio free rabbit so we can keep the conversation going like what you hear Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. <laughs>